Hey, I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down marketing. Ooh. If you'd like to suggest a new spooky topic, send us a compliment, ask us a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at breakingoutpod, or via email breakingoutofbreakinginpod at gmail.com. And if you want deeper dives into everything we cover on this podcast, including this very episode, subscribe to our Substack at breakingoutpod.substack.com for just $5 a month. We've got all sorts of cool bonus content. Um, the this week, this time already, we've planned to make a like pseudo D and D inspired um, like I'm out of ideas for marketing. What should I post today? Sort of game. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it, but it's very fun, and you just need a <laughs> six sided dice, which comes with pretty much all board games. So um, that's just one of the many things you'll get with a five dollar a month subscription. So please subscribe. Anyways. Marketing. Where are we starting? Where are we starting with marketing? <laughs> Maybe the first thing to start with is just like, what do we do as marketing? Just sort of high level, like the things that you and I tend to do for mm-hmm. our creative work as well as for ourselves. So do you wanna do you wanna start? What are what are the primary Christina Rea slash congested cat marketing channels? Sure. So uh, I used to use Twitter a lot more than I do now. And we can talk about that. I do still use Twitter, though I will be honest and say that I lately have been using it poorly and more just for making announcements and then retweeting a bunch of political stuff. So it's kind of like the opposite of the advice. Um, And we'll talk about like the, the way you should be using Twitter, but that's honestly not what I've been doing, you know, throughout 2020 and even into the beginning of this year. I do use Instagram a lot more lately, and my main kind of like form of true marketing, I would say, is the uh, is my newsletter, my monthly newsletter that we have for Congested Cat, and and then there's some other some other stuff. I I would say that you and I have pretty much the same like methods of marketing. You just use them better Um, because I I don't use Instagram at all, basically. I have an Instagram against my will, frankly. I think you use Twitter better than I do. I have been trying to like consciously be better at Twitter again because I used to, like Christina, be like a pretty good Twitter user. It's where I got most of my networking and connections done, um, which I think I mentioned back in episode two, back with uh, the Micah interview we did. But um, yeah, I have also fallen off in 2020. It kind of seemed insane to tweet about anything other than politics and like mm-hmm. current events. So I and also it seemed insane as a white person to be taking up any space with my own commentary on things. So I was mostly sticking to like amplifying um other voices that were mm-hmm. more immediately relevant to whatever the particular issue at hand was for 2020, which God help us was so many. Um, and like do using it for work things. So like retweeting the podcast, retweeting seed and spark, <laughs> things like right. that. Yeah. I'm like, a, I'm having a very hard time getting back into like, let me just tweet this like funny thought that I have that shows a little bit of who I am or let me just tweet about this thing I just watched because I'm watching so many things. That's part of it. Mm-hmm. I used to tweet a lot of like little mini reviews or just feelings after watching something. And a lot of it was like 
out in the world watching. So I just went to the movies or I was at a festival and it's harder to do from your couch. Like it feels less justified in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I am, I'm having a hard time getting back into that, but I, I imagine that's relatable for our listeners. So I, so I hope that, you know, like it's very hard to be thinking about marketing when the world is, is quite horrible. Um, But I do think that we both think that art really matters, obviously, and that it is so comforting to people and it's important to kind of maintain building an audience if, if this is what you want to do, is to make stuff that's going to help people or impact people or impact the world in some way. Uh, so- totally. And I, and I think impact can have a lot of different meanings. Like I think that especially when it comes to the marketing phase, some people get start, start to like get distinctly uncomfortable about marketing because they're like, well, what, what am I really providing? And I, I, I think that like, especially in a time like this, it is okay to just provide an escape <laughs> and like something that has been very centering for me and, and been very validating despite all of the terrible is seeing like work of mine consistently get views and comments from people who are just like, I really needed this today. Like I needed to mm-hmm. hear that, or I really, I needed this representation today and it's small, tiny pieces, but like, that's why we make work. Like, sure. I want validation. I want to be able to do this for a living, but also like I wouldn't make work if I didn't think it was good and I didn't want people to enjoy themselves. And, you know, certainly I wouldn't make the work that I do if one of my goals wasn't for people to see representation that I know myself, I desperately need. So mm-hmm. marketing is not about corporate lingo and knowing the right mm-hmm. hashtags to use. It's about effectively getting the work that you make in front of the people who most need to see it. Yeah. So on that note, I feel like because we talked a lot about Twitter, we should maybe talk about what is like the right way <laughs> to use Twitter or really social media in general from a marketing perspective as a, as a filmmaker, as an artist who's trying to build an audience for your work. Because I think that that's probably a question people have if they're just starting out is like how do I even get started it's audience building at the end of the day and so thinking about where the intersections are between who you are as a human like how you what you're a fan of what you like to do and what you make and how all of those things kind of create like a person that 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 people would want to follow and so it isn't about like constantly sharing your work it's more like looking for conversations that are happening that relate to the themes in your work or the subjects that you're exploring or the you know social issues or whatever various things that are related to what you're making finding those conversations jumping into those conversations because you're finding people who care about the those things those topics those themes um And then also kind of like creating a bit of a like taste profile for yourself that not only tells people maybe what your style would be like and and what, you know, has influenced your work, but also it can make fans of that kind of stuff also take an interest in you. Because if you share fandom with someone, then that probably tells them that they might like what you're making and they might like you. I think something that often gets forgotten about social media, especially when people are using it because they want followers, is there needs to be a reason for somebody to follow you, even if they have no idea who you are. And I think Mm -hmm. that there is a disconnect for a lot of people who either go full-throated marketing, and it's like everything they post is just about work that they're doing, which nobody Mm -hmm. has heard of, obviously, Mm -hmm. or they go too far in the other direction of like, 
it's just about me, 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 but like, just like my day to day. And you need a better balance of those plus what you're interested in outside of yourself. Cause it's like, if I post something, you know, about curly hair or whatever, like at this point I've earned that because people have seen me a lot. Like my curly hair is one of the things that sets me apart as an actress when I unfortunately have to act occasionally. Um, so it's become part of the brand. Uh, also like my, you know, the red streak in my hair comes from brains, my first project. So like my, my hair is a part of my identity at this point. So like now it's just a, sort of a part of the personality. But like if all I did was post about like curly hair stuff, but I don't make work about curly hair things, and I'm not looking to be a beauty influencer, that would be a confusing place for somebody to come in and want to join my audience for. So you really do need to find a balance of like what Christina said, like like a taste profile. Who are you as a person, but as a person who you are intending to be public facing? Right. It's not to say you can't be transparent about your personal life or whatever. Like you can be as transparent as you want to be. But like, if you are doing this for the purposes of marketing yourself and your work as an artist and as art, you do need to think about, okay, if I was a stranger coming across this profile, what would I get from it? What would encourage me to follow, to join in on these conversations, to trust this person? Yeah, you should feel like a real fleshed out person because you are. So like trying to put yourself out there, you don't have to put it all out there, you know, like you don't have to put your significant other out on your social media if they're not comfortable or something like that, but just like a sense of your life and people should know that you are a creator of some kind. Like that, that I think is what people get wrong is if they're not doing the like all marketing all the time, then they're just being like a regular person and rarely talking about their work and you wanna find that balance. Yeah. So I default more to Instagram lately because I find like images just nice to scroll through as opposed to like potentially triggering words, <laughs> like, you know, news about the world that I'm not prepared for or just, like nasty things people might say. Uh, So I generally tend to default to wanting to be on Instagram more, but I will say that sort of from conversion rates, like even in, especially when we're talking about crowdfunding or like trying to get people to take an action and click through, Twitter is a lot easier, has higher conversion rates because people can actually click that link as opposed to going to the bio and, and that kind of thing. Totally. And I think all this conversation also sort of intersects with a question we got from Jules and a question that we get from a lot of people, actually. Um, But thanks, Jules, for sending it in. Um, Do you think that on social media you should post things to your own account or to a project or company account? So I think that that is really up to you and A, your comfort level with being a person, like being your real self online. And Brie and I are both advocates for like you being the brand because at the end of the day, that is really the case. Like even if you think about, I would say, you know, big studio projects are different where it's like the franchise is what people are fans of. But when you think about film and TV, it's usually the writers or the directors that you're like, oh, I can't wait to see that person's new movie because you love their vision or their voice, right? And so at the end of the day, like you are the brand. However, if you're not fully comfortable putting, you know, who you are out there and would rather like start out slow with just like an entity, whether it's a production company or a specific film that you'll eventually roll into a production company, um, then that's maybe the way to go. But it's also bandwidth. Like we both have both. I have my own and I have a production company. Now we have the podcast. Um, So yep. 
it's like bandwidth for can you diversify the content you put out on all of these because if you can't then it's better to just be in one central location as opposed to just be having inactive multiple inactive accounts so it's like the balance of those two things that's what I would say it's like your comfort level with being a human being on your own account that has like maybe a mix of your film work but also has its own your own like opinions and and interests and also your bandwidth to try and do more than one. Yeah, I I agree with all of that. And I I think that what I would add to it is don't just post the same things to both accounts. Like definitely I, you know, I would not just use one account to retweet the other account um, or just post the exact same things to both. Like there should be a distinct voice. And um, I would also say if you're deciding between like, should I make a project account or a like collective account or a production company account. Um, I have done both. And that was just because brains came out far before any of my other work did. So it, it, there wasn't really an entity to post about, but I really wish I had thought ahead and made a collective account earlier. Mm-hmm. Cause now at this point, I actually, I just officially retired my brains account. It's still up because so many things tag it, but like I've changed the the Twitter name to like follow the undead burrito account. And I've like changed mm-hmm. the, I've pinned a tweet and everything like that because like, you know, that show has been over for years. <laughs> There's no reason that yeah. I need to be continuously updating it. So like, I, yeah, I, I mean, web series are different. I'm glad we had a brains account for the time that we did just because like we, that show existed for like two and a half years it was the primary thing we were working on there were we you know there was still hope that content was going to be coming out for that show for long term um Mm -hmm. and so you know it it took about four years for that account to become obsolete but now it's just there and dead so keep that in mind and have a contingency plan yeah so the thing is like so i had a, a kelsey account so kelsey the series right for our web series as well and then we rolled that into our about a donkey account because like it was a similar tone and similar like both were had like a queer love story at the center and they were both comedies ensemble comedies so that was like an easy thing to do but then of course we had any any previous references to at Kelsey the series were just kind of like dead in the water now um but we were able to at least like take our like 600 followers and bring them over into a new similar project and about a donkey was a feature and so we had like a good two years two or three year run with that but then we also just shut that down because I was like I don't really know, I don't want to just have this be a dead account right now, but I don't know what else to put out on it. And we're not, we're not making anything similar, at least not anytime soon. And so it's hard with features because you are going to have a long life cycle with shorts though. Yeah. I always just use hashtags. They're always under my production company account because there's just never going to be a long enough life cycle of one project to, to have its own account. And, and in terms of how to diversify what you put out on different accounts, the way that I approach it, it's like Congested Cat is for announcements of things. So like we announced we got into this festival and maybe we will share an article about the festival and like some interesting tidbits about, you know, what it's what the history of it is or what kind of stuff it programs. And then I'll like retweet it or I'll re- quote tweet it or do my own tweet that's like, oh, I loved being part of this festival with this project. Here's some like interesting things about my experience experience with it as like a human that was there right um or if it's like a new film that we're making 
again, Congested Cat would kind of like put out the behind the scenes stuff and I would reshare it, but I would add in my like learning experience directing that project. So it's like my existence as a human who experienced this thing is what I put out on my own account. But Congested Cat is more for just like the updates of it or to like amplify other artists, especially because through IndieWorks, we, we will often share like alumni uh, projects and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I use the Undead Burrito account roughly the same. Um, I think we're in slightly different situations because like I am the sole owner of the a million social media accounts that I do. And I know that you mm-hmm. have a little bit more collaboration on your end. So like my accounts definitely aren't as active. Um, we also just don't have as much work to put out. Um, so something I did this year, because I'm a big fan of automating social media, especially for sort of evergreen announcements, is that because we do have a decent body of work and people occasionally come across me and um, Undead Burrito sort of like late in the game, um, what I did is I have pre-scheduled like eight months worth of tweets where there's a tweet at least once or or twice a week every month for eight months that's just sort of an evergreen post about one of our previous works so I pick like a nice gif or some key art or uh you know something that I made special for it and um each one of our five undead burrito branded projects um is going out for the next eight months so that way something is being posted to the undead burrito account every month for a while until I have to refresh it and you know as things come up I can certainly add them but I know that it's not going to be dead because I don't want people to think that it's a dead account ahead of wanting to use it again for, like you said, like promotional things, sharing Laurel, sharing new festival inclusions, sharing new work and new potential crowdfunding campaigns, things like that. Mm-hmm. So because I know it's going to be a going to be a while until we make anything new <laughs> in a, mm-hmm. the film world, um, I just want to make sure that it doesn't get stagnant. So um, mm-hmm. that's one of the ways that I do it. But I, I've discovered that because Twitter is a more demanding platform um, in terms of like staying relevant on it, I wasn't going to be able to maintain like being a part of conversations with the Undead Burrito account as well as the Breezone World account. I would say that I'm the same. Like it's hard to, and we talked about this off the podcast, but I hate scrolling on on Twitter. Like I don't want to discover stuff I want like a curated amount of things coming Mm -hmm. at me that I know it's exactly what I want so I subscribe to people's tweets and so I know like oh I'm gonna these are the kinds of people I typically retweet or these are the kinds of things I typically want to see so I'm gonna just have it come to me instead of going to look for it and I definitely don't want to be doing that on the congested cat account because I barely want to do it on my own (laughs) but generally speaking I have accepted that I am the brand that funnels to congested cat not the other way around because yep. I think people also just like, they, they like personality. They like people that have opinions. They don't want just like a neutral entity that shares stuff. They want like a person, which makes sense because that's how I am too. Like I rarely follow production company accounts. I only follow production company accounts through my production company account. So like I, I get that I am a funnel to lead to the work, like the umbrella of work. And that's how I generally treat it. Um, so like I'm, I'm interested in building the congested cat following, but at the end of the day is really just trying to get my work seen and, and that could very easily just be through me. But I do want people to know that there are collaborators involved. And so that's why I try to like funnel through to the, to the production company as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm same. I would love to have somebody else run the undead burrito account for me. 
Because, like, because uh, it, it was funny because when I was still running the Brains account pretty regularly, like, for a while I did default to the Brains account. Um, but everyone just referred to the Brains account as Brie because <laughs> everyone <laughs> knew it was me. Like, I have a very distinct voice, like, ri- written voice. Um, also, I'm not subtle and I use eye language and it's obvious that it's me. Mm-hmm. So um, it sort of slowly became this thing where it's like, well, why am I doing this from the brains account if I'm just being me here? Like I don't, and and certainly this is not the professional sort of veneer that I want for a production account. So, um, and you know, and then it it became this weird thing where I would post really like things that I really liked on my personal account, and nobody would see it because they were all like mm-hmm. watching the brains account. I was like, well, but it's not about brains right now. Sometimes I have other thoughts. Um, so that's always been a, a right. confusing thing to sort of navigate. So sort of speaking of social, uh, mm-hmm. we have a question from a former student of mine, Kevin Seafried. Kevin asks, what is the value of paid advertising and how do you decide what platforms make that marketing worthwhile? I mean, my response is that at the level at which I think a lot of our listeners are at, it's not worth it. Um, mm-hmm. The example I like to give, I'll include it in uh, our bonus content on Substack. But there's a video by Danny Gonzalez. He's a like a YouTube commentator kind of person. So this is a style of YouTube video where people just like comment on things. Um, it sounds basic, and it is, but he does it very funny. And so this is a kind of like diversion from his normal thing where he had done a series of videos about like the weird mobile game Instagram ads that there are like for games like Lily's Garden and stuff like that where they're all kind of like vaguely horrific (laughs) and then when you play the game you're like this is not what this game is like at all and so he was curious if like that style of advertising actually worked. So he did sort of like a satirical experiment where he spent um, almost like $15,000 of advertising money. Cause you know, he's a YouTuber, they all have money, but he spent like $15,000 on YouTube ads on three separate ones, one serious and then two sort of like versions of the Instagram style ads he had seen. Mm-hmm. And his conversion rate was like under 1% for all of them. And like for him, because of how much money he was spending, that was like 40 subscribers to 80 subscribers. But I think it's a really good and entertaining example of like how big your advertising spend has to be to make a genuine impact. Um, And like his impact was just being measured by like, how many new subscribers do I have? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like, I think that in order to really get something out of it, you either need to hire someone who has genuine expertise in it and who can like make it so that you're not just guessing, like who can truly Mm -hmm. narrow down who the post should be boost to, or if you just have money to burn. But if you don't have those two things, I don't think it's valuable. It's like, I I mean, I don't click on ads anymore, especially now that I'm on my computer 24 seven, like if I if it's a choice between like seeing an obviously boosted post and seeing a post of a fr- from a friend that's like, hey, you should watch this movie, I'm going to mm-hmm. click on the friends thing. Organic marketing is always more effective, which 100%. is why it's cheaper and harder to do. <laughs> so yeah, my my quick rant that turned into not so quick a rant is it's not <laughs> worth it. <laughs> not yeah. not at the not, especially not when you're alone and you don't know anything about it. Yes. So I agree with that and I generally don't do paid advertising because I did try like early on and realized so much of it was just like nonsense, you know, like it's not it's falling yeah. on eyeballs that don't care that are just scrolling past it. However, I did have success doing it when I was on the festival circuit with About a Donkey, which is my second feature, and we were trying to fill our screenings in very specific cities. And 
I would cap myself at $20 per festival. So like every screening that we were going to have, I would say, okay, I'm going to put $20 into a Facebook ad. And I chose Facebook because I knew that our audience for About a Donkey Skewed older because it is about largely like a family with adult like parents and a grandmother and the parents and the grandmother like their stories are part of the story so uh we were definitely trying and also festivals tend to be more populated by people that are more like retirement age or on the cusp especially we observed a lot with about a donkey a lot of like stay-at-home moms were were the Hmm. kinds of people showing up and that was also something we knew from our own before crowdfunding like audience research and we also knew that they had very specific interests and so I was running ads that were like only people that are in you know a 10 mile radius of this city and are interested in specific movies that I was putting in so like the two movies that I was always or one tv show and one movie that I was always using was Gilmore Girls and Little Miss Sunshine so people who had liked those Facebook pages and were predominantly women in the age range that we were looking for so it was like pretty much 35 to 60 was like who we were targeting and Uh, And then other interests. So it was like independent film, comedy movies. Sometimes I would, I played around. So I would run multiple ones where I would do ones that were like, you know, interested in like the mental health angle of the film, interested in the actual donkey angle of the film. So like people who liked equestrian type pages. (laughs) Um, And, and then there were more like genre type stuff. And All of them had to have an interest in independent film, though. They had to be the types of people that would show up and go watch an independent movie. And the conversion rates were small, but we did, like, I would say every third screening, there would be one or two people that were there that were like, we saw a Facebook ad that had your trailer in it. And there was one woman in particular who drove, like, an hour to the festival to see it in Cambria, California. And... um, because she loves donkeys and like (laughs) wanted to see a movie with a donkey in it. And then she like left a really lovely review on IMDb Um, and not a filmmaker at all, like not at all. And so, and she's, and she said she she saw the Facebook ad with a trailer and it looked funny. Uh, And so that gave me like faith in it working if you can be really, really specific. And I think the city aspect of it, like being able to choose these smaller cities where like the amount of people there are that would even have that marked on Facebook would be much smaller than like New York City, you know? And so that was a big factor in in what made it successful. Probably also your age range too. Like Facebook ads, Facebook has the best advertising suite, but the people who are on Mm -hmm. Facebook are older. So if your work doesn't skew older, and Kevin, I know what work you make and yours does not, (laughs) unless (laughs) you go with the baseball thing, but I still don't think it would skew older. That's also going to be a lost cause. Right. So I want to show on the other side of that, that like, organic outreach took more time like manually doing it myself but had pretty similar conversion rates on twitter because i knew that ads would not make sense on twitter um for our like target audience so what i was doing instead was i would use twitter's search feature and search for people who lived in those cities who had tweeted about specific things so like any relevant hashtags that i thought might have been used by someone 
or if they had something in their bio, like if they were filmmakers or if they were, again, like interested in donkeys or equestrian type things, or if they were like, if they had like LGBTQ or or the a rainbow flag or lesbian or queer or something in their bio because there is a love story between two women and about a donkey. And I just did all these different searches And then I would tweet at these people and I would say, hey, I noticed that you like these things or I noticed that you like identify this way and maybe are craving like a sweet romance between, you know, whatever. And not everyone would reply to me. Most people would like the tweet um, because it was coming. It wasn't like a bot or an ad. It was like me just actually tweeting at you. And I found that there were not as many people that showed up because younger people are on Twitter and I don't think that that was quite our demographic as much as older people but we did have people that showed up from that organic outreach and so like I and I don't think I would have had that same conversion if I had just run an ad on Twitter because I was really tailoring what I was doing to the platform yeah my the organic marketing that's done the best on Twitter for me is specifically within the ace community which I had started out by building on Tumblr like I so the way that I marketed ace and anxious which is the best sort of case study for me in terms of what has worked in marketing is I started on Tumblr and the first thing I did when I learned I was going to be in my first film festival and it was an online one so it was going to premiere online um, I asked the asexual Tumblr community that I'd been following for a while not really engaging much just kind of reposting um, but I had been following a lot of blogs I tagged a bunch of them that I knew were active in the space and I said hey ace Tumblr community are there any asexual journalists and bloggers that I should reach out to I made a short film about asexual uh, an asexual sexual character. I'm an asexual writer director would love any insight because I'm new to the space and a ton of people retweeted uh, reposted that uh, and then when like we premiered our trailer I added that to the post and that continued to get um, play and so I, I immediately got a lot of buy-in from the Tumblr community and there's a lot of sort of intersections between the asexual Tumblr community and the asexual Twitter community um, they they're mm-hmm. like they tend to have like similar accounts on both platforms but I started on Tumblr just because I that was where I, I knew where most people were. And then uh, as like that film started coming out and as it, you know, premiered officially online, I kind of just kept track of what was happening on asexual Tumblr. Um, You know, I would I would follow tags about asexuality. And like, as you might imagine, a lot of people would be posting like, man, I wish there was more than just Todd from Bojack Horseman. Like, I wish there was a female asexual character I could like fall in love with. And so I would Mm -hmm. hop in. And eventually I stopped having to hop in. Like I track my own name and the name of my film on Tumblr. And I have seen at least two separate instances where like an asexual blog has been sent an ask so on Tumblr, there's you can like submit questions that, that people can answer publicly or privately. And there have been two public asks from people saying like, hey, can you recommend any movies with asexual characters? And twice, people who were not me, who I don't remember directly reaching out to, so it must have just been through the osmosis of this community, recommended my film. So I knew I had done a good job. Like Tumblr knows me as the ace and anxious girl. So I was like, cool, that's sorted. And then when I, I moved to more <laughs> um, specifically be on Twitter, I started jumping 
I, I followed AVEN, the Asexual Visibility in Education Network, I think is what it's called. It's sort of the main asexual nonprofit. It's not the only one. Nobody get mad at me. But it's it's one of the bigger <laughs> ones. It was started by David Jay, who's like one of the more prominent asexual people um, in media. And they frequently, because this is sort of their thing, will just sort of tweet prompts about like the asexual experience and things like that. And so I, as the Undead Burrito account, started sort of chiming in on those. So even though it would be more natural to do it from the Breeze on World account, I I didn't think that it was going to be right. And I, I was still in like the deep, the thick of promoting Ace and Anxious from Undead Burrito. So then I started just sort of chiming in on those conversations and people started liking those posts. And then there often became opportunities for me to just like post the link to Ace and Anxious. I didn't do that to start out with because that's crazy. You don't walk mm-hmm. into a party and scream, watch my movie. You know, like you have a conversation yeah. with somebody first. But at the more right. I joined that community, the more trusted I became and the more it was appropriate to do so. And so now Avon follows me on Twitter. And anytime I post something relating to asexuality, um, like nine times out of 10, Avon will retweet it. And because obviously they have a lot of asexual followers, I'll get a huge influx of new followers and new views on that film. And um, we'll, I'll talk about this more in the distribution episode, because Kevin has a separate mm-hmm. question about YouTube SEO. But like, to wrap it all up, I started by asking for help and identifying where my audience was. Um, because asking mm-hmm. for help is a much less aggressive way of saying, hey, my thing exists and I think you'll like it. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I started just joining in on pre-existing conversations until I had built up enough credibility and trust to be able to more shamelessly promote myself. Um, and then that, like, I the credibility and the trust that I bought through that, like, long-form thing is only helping me as I go forward. Yeah. That's really what it's all about. It's like identifying where your audience is and and being a human being there mm-hmm. <laughs> and not just like barging in and saying, hey, check out my work, but actually like finding common ground and and real like doing real engagement, authentic engagement as like a fan or a fan of the genre or someone who identifies as the actual identity you're portraying or as uh, someone who just really cares about the mission and cause of the thing. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to like give you guys any illusions. Like this takes a long time. Like paid advertising yeah. is enticing because like for $10, I could theoretically connect to a million people, <laughs> but if only two of them mm-hmm. click on it, is it worth it? Like I find right. organic marketing far more rewarding and it is more time consuming, but that's why I think it's so important to be realistic with yourself about what platforms you actually like using. Like I like using Tumblr and Twitter. I like, and mm-hmm. well, like is a strong word, but I the my social media habits are geared towards timeline. I like scrolling through mm-hmm. a timeline. I like text-based things with the occasional mm-hmm. surprise of an image or GIF. Um, and so those are communities <laughs> yeah. that I'm already going to be on as a human being. So it makes it a lot less unnatural for me to jump in on those platforms versus Instagram, mm-hmm. which I hate using because I hate typing on my <laughs> stupid touchscreen keyboard. I miss my T9. <laughs> so I know for me, like I'm not going to, I'm just going to be frustrated if I'm trying to primarily market something on Instagram because it's just, it's not not sure. the way that I am actively living my social media life. Um, and I have to right. give that up. I know I have an audience on, on Instagram and I know they're severely underserved. And that's just going to have to be it because <laughs> I don't have time. I'm doing this for free. Right. And, and at a certain point, I think you can you don't have to do it all at once from the beginning. Right. It's totally. like you can always add. So Instagram can come later when you have either like a partner who loves to do it 
in the case of like booby like i'm all about instagram <laughs> exactly because i like looking at images and i'm just like that's where i prefer to scroll because i love seeing like faces of the people i like which is why i'm gonna be honest with you i'm just not a follow back person on instagram because i find it weird when i'm seeing the like private life of someone i've never met and so right yes exactly it's not like it's not an ego thing for me it's just like i we, if i don't recognize you it's weird um, mm-hmm. because I don't want to see, like, y- like I'm happy for you and your significant other, but, like, unless <laughs> you're going to post, like, really cute animal photos, I just will find it strange in my feet. But that said, on the breaking out of breaking in or a booby account, I take that on, and, like, you don't have to do any of it because that's that makes sense for, for what we each prefer to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not there yet where you have someone who can, like, fill in the gaps, then just, like, that's fine. Like, just work your way up to it. I think when there are high stakes where it's like you're crowdfunding or you're doing a release of something and you're trying to get a big push, then maybe making the effort to be on. Yeah, and I always do. Someone. I just feel bad that I'm only ever on there when I need something. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's like, that's not ideal. That's like, a, I would say, especially a bad habit with Twitter is if you're only there when you're asking or pushing something. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, do what you can. This is all just a, a matter of, you know, working with what resources you have and whether that's time or money or neither then like you know you you figure out what makes the most sense for you and your audience as long as you're not on a platform that your audience is not on at all sure because then you're just really wasting your time yeah like Um, I would say Facebook outside of boosted posts is really really hard to break through anymore like a Facebook Mm -hmm. page is basically not going to be seen even by the people who like the page because of the way that Facebook has changed its algorithm. You basically have to pay to reach the audience that has already opted into liking your posts. Unless somebody gets Mm -hmm. notifications for your page, which almost no one will, um, it's very hard to do on Facebook. So unless you're going into like individual Facebook groups, which are, you know, much more moderated communities, so it's a lot harder to just do a straight up marketing post in those, um, Mm -hmm. Facebook's probably not going to be a good like marketing main place. So uh, I kind of want to move on from social media. One of my transition questions um, is one that came from a workshop I recently taught and a follow-up email that one of the attendees sent me, but I thought it would be a useful thing to talk about here. So um, a filmmaker named Johnny asked, uh, how did I go about marketing my web series and did I release episodes weekly? And I thought that this question would be a good place to bring up the concept of marketing runway which is a thing that Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't consider. Um, Mm -hmm. So first question to you, Christina, when you were releasing Kelsey, did you guys release it weekly or did you do a a bingeable dump? So we we did it every other Tuesday. Oh, interesting, every other week. Yeah, because we wanted to to get enough, like, momentum between episodes and build up to the next one. Because we were getting a lot of press, which I can talk about as well. But I also feel like it's not as applicable because this was in 2013. Sure. Um, and a lot has changed since then, especially with web series. But this was before like anyone was just throwing everything out at once. Like before even Netflix was necessarily doing that. So that never really occurred to us to just like release it all but even so i don't know if i would make that choice now i i haven't made a web series since kelsey but i it's hard to say because people are so used to being able to binge and you kind of want to give people what they want but in our case i really wanted to have like momentum to build and so we gave ourselves bi-weekly essentially 
Uh, and that worked out really well because in between we would get like a ton of press on the latest episode. Yeah. And so like that's the concept of runway, right? Like marketing runway is just giving yourself as much space as possible to entice people. Like marketing mm-hmm. shouldn't be you post a tweet about your film and like wait for people to see it. <laughs> like marketing mm-hmm. is a holistic strategy. Audience building is a holistic strategy. So you can't just be doing one thing and kind of coming out of nowhere. Um, and so the concept of runway is really important, regardless of if you're doing a crowdfunding campaign, if you're releasing something mm-hmm. one time, if you're releasing a series of things, like you need to give yourself time to build hype. Not even mainstream media just comes out of nowhere unless you're Beyonce or that one Cloverfield movie. But in each of those cases, they had pre-established audiences who hadn't gotten anything from them in a while. So like, sure, it came out of nowhere, but then people were talking about it for weeks and weeks. You don't have that pre-existing sort of hype built around your past work, probably. Mm -hmm. So you can't just come out of nowhere, especially if you're looking to reach new audiences. So you really do need to invest in a lead up, you know, give yourself space Mm -hmm. for takeoff. Like you can't (laughs) <laughs> you're not a helicopter yet. You, you're an airplane. So give yourself That's the right. space. So I'm all, I'm also a weekly. I prefer weekly. Even you know I've released a web series more recently, and even that some people dispute because it's you make people wait so long for such a short amount of content. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't think I agree that a week is too long. You know, like most YouTube channels right, right. release weekly and they don't release yeah. content that's much longer or not, certainly not all of them release content much longer than my web series episodes. And I do like having a week at least in between each episode to give each episode its own little space, you know, instead mm-hmm. of being like, it's all here, have have at it. <laughs> like I like giving yeah. each individual episode, whether it's a plot based one or more episodic its own space to breathe and for people to enjoy it and have fan theories and to like talk to each other and quote things back to me and to like exactly you know get people invested in 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 not just like sort of speeding through it i don't want them it took us a really long time to make it i don't want you to be able to be over with it in 20 minutes right exactly and i would say that you know if you're a huge netflix or any of these big streaming platforms, then you know that the millions of people that are going to watch it, there's going to be all the stuff that happens in a longer amount of time on our end where you need people to like discover it and start to fall in love with it and 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 pull out their favorite quotes like all that takes time with us they don't need that because they know that just the amount of people that are going to like binge it they're going to start creating that like water cooler effect immediately through twitter and it's just like going to naturally happen so they don't need that time but we need that time we need time for people to spread the word so like Mm -hmm. With Kelsey, with our web series, we found that we would put out an episode and then people would start commenting and like they would tweet at us their favorite line from the episodes. Mm -hmm. And then we would have time to create graphics of those or like gifs of those moments and put them out on our social and get engagement and then build more audience from there because then those people would like re-story or well stories didn't exist then but they would like re-gram <laughs> or or retweet um and tumblr was very big for kelsey as well and i was really bad at using it i could have been so much more effective yeah if you make gay stuff be on tumblr T- like i know just because porn's think- not there anymore doesn't mean the tumblr <laughs> isn't still a vibrant weird little queer community <laughs> totally. I was not. I mean, Kelsey, Kelsey Rauber, the co-creator of the show, who's who's the namesake of the show. Um, she was on a little bit and like was being a little bit of in that community. But even she's not great at social media. Like the way we tend to divide stuff up is I do social media and she does like press releases. Got it. But anyway, the point I was making is like 
you you have that time for people to really get invested and like excited for the new thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the best strategy for an independent piece of content to really build an audience. Totally. The 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 key though is consistency. So like if you say it's going to come out every other Tuesday at 7:30, which was our case, like it needed to be up and ready at 7:30 every other Tuesday, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. And the the last thing I'll say on on this is um, even when you're promoting a single piece of content, you're going to need to do it more than once because the life cycle of a tweet apparently is six minutes. And I imagine it's even shorter (laughs) these days just because of the nature of how quickly new things um, dominate the feed and how the algorithm works. Like if it doesn't if it doesn't become a hit within the first six seconds, uh, six seconds, wow, uh, in the first six minutes, then um, then it, then you're probably going to need to post again in a couple of hours. So definitely you're you're not annoying anyone. That's a big fear of people's when it comes to marketing. It's like they don't want to annoy anyone. But you see everything you post. Almost no one else is going to. I might just because I'm always on Twitter. So if you're posting between the hours of 10 a.m. and like 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I will see everything you do just because that's how I am. But most people aren't like me. Most people Mm -hmm. log into social media at various pockets of the day and they're not ever going to be able to catch up to where they were before. Um, So you're not being annoying. In fact, you're probably not being aggressive enough. And if somebody tells you you're being annoying, it's probably less the frequency and more that the content hasn't changed Mm -hmm. enough. What's annoying about self-promotion is not that you're self-promoting. You should be self-promoting. You've made a cool thing. Tell everybody. Mm -hmm. But when you're just saying the same thing over and over again, or it comes from like sort of a self-depreciating place of like, I know I'm being annoying, but... And if you tell me you're being annoying, I'm going to start getting annoyed (laughs) because you've now Mm -hmm. primed me to assume you're being annoying. Just post a new thing about it, you know, like, like what yeah. Christina was just saying, like, they've already posted the link to the episode. So once that's up, and people start selling them what the favorite, the the favorite line is making a separate piece of content that it is now its own thing that still targets people back to the episode, but is now mm-hmm. its own unique piece of content. That's fine. Even if I see the same pro- like promotion for the same thing eight times, as long as each of those eight posts is distinct and gives me something new or added, like additive about the mm-hmm. thing that they're ultimately pointing towards, then I'm going to be fine with that. That's part of why I like Instagram a lot is because it's all visual. And so as long as your image is different and you, you're making videos, right? So you could have like endless stills you can pull from the same thing. Totally. As long as you change your image, like you can keep your copy even. Like most of the copy can stay the same. Maybe you experiment with some different hashtags. But like as long as it's a new image, I'm happy to see it in my feed again, you know? So so that I think is a big part of it is just like making sure that you're not being repetitive and you're giving some you're offering something new with each new share. 100%. 100%. Especially if it's like the same day or week. Like, you know, mm-hmm. months apart, sure, use broadly the same stuff. But like, if, if it, this is in quick succession, if you're trying to get people to watch the new episode before the next one comes out, or you're trying to get somebody to, you know, give your campaign money, like, definitely give people something else. Otherwise, their brain's just going to filter out everything you post, and it's no longer going to have any effect. Basically, don't train people to tune you out. 
whether it is social media, whether it is email, whether it is just every time you talk to them in conversation, like just don't give people a reason to tune you out. Always bring something new to the table. And that's a lot of work. So, you know, as much as you can rely on your friends, rely on your collaborators, rely on your teammates and and try to spread the work around as evenly as you possibly can. Um, so speaking of other kinds of work, let's get to the non-social media aspects of marketing, which there are less and less of, because especially these days, it's kind of the only thing we've got. Um, but question from Paul Robinson from Twitter, what are some good avenues outside of social media to market? Uh, and also sort of side question, friend of the pod, Shay, also asked about this. What marketing should a low-budget indie filmmaker be doing beyond social media with very little money? So good news, Shay. You don't need that much money to do other kinds of marketing either. <laughs> yeah. So I think a newsletter is really the, honestly, the best form of marketing when you're really trying to convert people, like get them to click a link or watch a thing. Social media is a great way to maintain engagement with an existing following. It's a great way to keep people excited about a thing that they're already excited about or just to kind of keep yourself top of mind as like someone to maybe tap for hiring or if they're looking for something to watch, you can like remind them that you make a bunch of stuff. But email lists or newsletters really I find are for the people that want to be kept up to date like on all your updates and you can kind of put them in one place on a regular basis, but not too regular. So my newsletter is monthly and Bree's yours is quarterly, right? <laughs> There's a parentheses LOL after quarterly, but you, <laughs> you newsletter queen, please be. start. I, I'll, I'll tell you my sad tale afterwards. <laughs> okay, so the great thing about newsletters is that people can be, they can subscribe themselves or you can add them. And as long as you've like gotten permission to add them, you're fine. People may occasionally unsubscribe and say that they didn't give you permission, which is, can be <laughs> annoying sometimes because they did it like five years ago and forgot. But as long as you have that permission somewhere, you're fine. Um, but you should know that there are like laws against adding people. If you're a business anyway, there are laws against adding people to your to your email list and like abusing their email. There's a whole thing you should look into. Um, but anyway, assuming someone has given you permission or they've subscribed themselves, you can categorize them. So like... They don't have to get your newsletter always. You can you can set them up so that they only get newsletters when you mention this project because they gave you money for this crowdfunding campaign for that project. Or they only care about IndieWorks, for instance. Like in my case, I collected emails a lot through crowdfunding, through festival screenings. I would always have like a little clipboard or a notebook and ask people to, to give me their email if they'd like to be kept up to date. It may feel uncomfortable, but honestly, like, if someone is not a filmmaker and they're at a film festival, they must really love independent film. So you want to get their email, you know? <laughs> yes, they are the most important person that you haven't talked to yet. Right. And then the other most common, other than, like, networking with other filmmakers, was IndieWorks. And those would be, like, audience members or other filmmakers. And so my newsletter, when IndieWorks was in session, which for anyone who's not familiar, it's a monthly screening series where we screen short films by local filmmakers. When it was in session, we would actually have two monthly newsletters. So one that was, like, our overall Congested Cat updates with 
the next upcoming IndieWorks date and then the night of IndieWorks we would send it out and that would have like a list of the films with with their trailers or their posters and just a little bit about the filmmakers and that would only go out to the IndieWorks list. So like depending on whether or not you were on that list you either know that we have a monthly or we have one that happens twice a month. But anyway newsletters are really great because people it comes right to them, so they don't have to be scrolling social media to, to happen upon it. Um, and you don't have to like say the same thing over and over again. If you if social media is, is exhausting to you, you can just all put it in one place and know that it's going to them. The average um, open rate for an artist or like art-based newsletter tends to be 25%. So know that, that like not everyone is going to open it. But you may find that different people open different ones. So like I know that I have in MailChimp, which is a free service, up to a certain amount of emails. And like I've never hit the cap because I always I remove people that never open it every every like quarter I go through and make sure and so that I don't have to get to the level where I have to pay. Mm-hmm. And those people still exist in my email list. They just get removed from my newsletter because they're never going to open it. So I know like I sure. can still hit them up for a crowdfunding campaign, but I'm not going to bother sending them my newsletter and using up space. But anyway, um, the way that it works, I find like when I mention Summit in the title, the subject line, these group, this group of people is definitely going to open it, but probably not ever going to open it unless I open mention Summit. So like I'm strategic about my subject line based on who I most want to open it because of the action I want them most to take. And... And that's really what it's about. It's like, you know, if you don't have, because of IndieWorks, it made sense for us to be monthly. And we also tend to have like a lot of news about our latest work because I would generally always have a festival film. You know, something was on the circuit. That's not the case of this year because IndieWorks is not in, in session. So I'm actually for the first time in six years slowing down the newsletter to every other month oh wow (laughs) yeah if you have enough news it makes sense for it to be monthly if you are just saying the same thing over and over again it doesn't make sense so maybe you want to be quarterly maybe you want to be even less frequent it's really about like what do you have to say to tell people and make sure that you're not doing it just to do it, but because you actually have something that they would want to know. Yeah. And if you find yourself like staring down the barrel of a couple of like leaner months, maybe keep something back from a newsletter that you mm-hmm. that is going to be kind of evergreen. You know, it's not necessary to be announced this month and save that for next month. So you have something that's that's a tip. I think, Christina, you gave me at one point because um, I, I had asked. Yeah. I picked your brain about newsletters. Yeah. The, the reason that my quarterly newsletter is a parentheses LOL is because it's only quarterly as of this year. And there's only been one so far. So we'll see. Like the struggle that I have is the struggle that you're running into now, which is like, there's just not enough to update. Like there will be like six months where there's a lot of stuff to update about. And then there'll just be nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. And also once again, like I, I am a, I'm a solo marketing person. Like even the collaborators who I, who I love and who I've worked on a number of projects with, it's not their strong suit. They have no interest in it. They, and like trying to get them to help with marketing things is only going to make all of us unhappy. So, um, there are times where it's just like, listen, I have five jobs. I can't, I can't dedicate (laughs) to this newsletter this month. And so because I was doing a decent enough job on social media um, and then just through like direct targeted emails when I had something else coming up, it has never been a priority. I'm trying to make it more of a priority, but I do need to kind of think about (laughs) is this a me newsletter or is it a production company newsletter? Because Mm -hmm. more and more it seems like it's becoming a me newsletter and I need to 
I need to figure out what that means and how to market it differently. Um, and if I need to split off for people who, you know, like I, I don't, I honestly don't know what to do with it. If I can give advice there, because I would say Please. a lot of the people, a lot of the people who subscribe to my, to the Congested Cat newsletter are really trying to subscribe to my newsletter. Because even though Kelsey is a co-owner of Congested Cat and we have a team total of seven of us who are part of IndieWorks, like running it or programming it. At the end of the day, like I'm the one out and about at festivals. I direct 99% of what the production company puts out. And if not direct, I am 100% producing. Um, so like it's my, it's my company, it's my newsletter. So, but, but it like, it doesn't make sense for me to have like a monthly newsletter because really the reason for it being monthly and our reason for having like our justification for for being able to send you that much stuff is because of IndieWorks, and there sure. were a, there a significant enough amount of people that come in through IndieWorks, and that was like a nice shift in it being really about the team and not just about me. But anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying that I understand that when they receive it, they don't always realize that it's like the person that they wanted to hear from. Mm -hmm. And so I always make it a point to mention myself by name and something about me in every newsletter. Interesting. So that's not the case. Like Kelsey doesn't always get mentioned by name. Ryan doesn't always get mentioned by name. Sometimes if they have some, like any other team member, if they have like a big thing, like Ricardo, who is an actor in a lot of our films, but mainly part of the team because he co-hosts IndieWorks, he is rarely mentioned by name, but he was on a podcast. Like, two months ago so I put him by name in that one but otherwise it's usually our work and like the umbrella congested cat stuff we're doing in IndieWorks but there's always something about Christina Christina's you know latest script whatever whatever or Christina like in the upcoming one that I'm gonna do in February is gonna be Christina recently left her full-time job in case you didn't know and is like freelancing now and also listen to her podcast so like <laughs> there's always me within the bigger umbrella and I feel like you could do that if you wanted to yeah. like, have the best of the, both the hard part is that there's there's nothing going on with the group right now like certainly mm -hmm. not because of COVID but even so like you know we've all it you know it, we've lived in different states long enough that like there's just not going on so you could also treat it like uh so I because I'm subscribed to a lot of other filmmakers um newsletters and the ones that I always enjoy the most are the ones that are like sending me some some kind of curation so like they're like this is what they're watching and loving right now or this is like something a podcast episode that's related to a theme that they explore in their work a lot so it's like every newsletter has something new that is related to what they make but isn't their actual work yeah I, that's a, that's advice I give other people um do as I say not as I do kind of stuff like a, <laughs> starting a curational newsletter especially if you're earlier on in your career or there's nothing going on right now but you have something that you will be working on eventually that has a, a very strong like theme genre or something like that starting a curated newsletter related to that thing so if you have a horror movie coming up in a year or two that you're working up to maybe start a horror newsletter where mm -hmm. you know whatever makes sense for you maybe you curate recommendations of like other cool indie horror work maybe you do deep dives in like maybe you're a monster movie kind of person so you do like deep dives into classic monster movies and like talk about like teaching yourself how to do crazy uh, special effects makeup like whatever it is that's your thing, 
people will subscribe to that if they're interested in that thing. And if they, they're interested in that thing, which is related to the film you're going to make, then you're, I, tricking is the wrong word, but you are, you're creating a gateway between a general interest that people have and implicitly associating yourself with it. And as long as you mention in each, you know, newsletter edition, like I'm a filmmaker and you know, here's a tiny little update on the script or whatever, like people will trust you as a curator of this kind of thing. And when your film comes out or when information about it comes out that you need them to act on, it doesn't feel like it comes out of nowhere or like, well, who does this person think that they are making this movie? It's like, oh no, this makes sense. This is this person's thing. They should absolutely make this movie. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's talk briefly about press. Um, and then I guess we could finish up with like a lightning round of just like general marketing tips that have helped us over the years. But yeah, press thoughts on its effectiveness. Um, I think it can be effective when it's really, really specific. So this is, you know, people always want to know how Kelsey, our web series got to nearly half a million views when we first released it on blip.tv. And that was largely because I mean we had like we had made a Facebook page for the film and we had a Twitter account for it before we even finished it so we were in production and we were like putting out photos of us and making this thing but like nobody cared because they didn't know what it was yet right but Mm -hmm. we were like slowly building up some interest but really what it came down to is the moment we were able to cut a trailer which is before we even had all the episodes edited we had our first episode edited and we had our we we cut a trailer we sent it to buzzfeed and it worked out that buzzfeed was they didn't even respond to us like they didn't we didn't know that they even cared but then all of a sudden a month before we released the first episode and our trailer had like a date for when the premiere would be in it so it was embedded in it regardless of whenever it got posted if it got posted um we we found out that buzzfeed had created this list of eight lesbian web series you should watch and like it just so happened that at the time of making our web series kelsey and i were like oh nobody's making web series with queer women like and and kelsey is a lesbian and so she was obviously had wanted representation and i really wanted to make a show in general about friends in new york that looked like and felt like friends in new york and not just a bunch of white people um a bunch of white straight people and so we we decided to make this series to like fill that gap and and then it turned out that everyone was trying to do that at least on the lesbian front and so it worked out that because they had this much um, outreach coming their way that they decided to put this list together and we were on it. And that got our trailer like 50,000 views in the first 24, 48 hours that it was up. And then that got us a big following on our Facebook page. And because we had BuzzFeed to then go to all these other lesbian websites, like specific lesbian websites, they started featuring our new episodes every time on the homepage. Every time there was a new episode, they would put them on the homepage. So then every episode would get like 20,000 views the night that it was released. And honestly, that was just from like a domino effect of one big site featuring us. And honestly, we did send like a very personalized email. It wasn't like a blanket press release that everyone, you know, got. It was very tailored to them and what they post. But I don't think we would ever have gotten that if not for just like the timing and it just being luck of that. Did you, you send know? it to a general tip line or did you go to a specific author at BuzzFeed? We went to a specific author and that was... Why, that was also how we ended up on the IndieWire Best 
comedy web series of 2013 list. We were a critic's pick. And that was because I, in that case, had tweeted at the guy who I knew wrote about web series at IndieWire. Yep. And so that is my advice with press is like be specific about the, the kind of site you're reaching out to. Make sure that their audience wants what you have. And look for the specific authors because the entities are not going to pay attention to you. Don't go to the slush pile. Always go to a particular author. Um, And also they're more likely to check their email. And it looks less like a bot if you say, hey, Peter, versus, hey, there. (laughs) Yeah. With my my feature, uh, my first feature, Summit, which was a horror film, I had known about a bunch of websites that wrote about horror because I'm a fan, like I love the genre, so that... I knew about some smaller ones, but I had been in a, a horror class in college because I was in college when I wrote Summit, and um, it was like an analytical film class about horror movies. And so everyone in it was a huge horror fan. So I reached out to them and I was like, how do you find out about genre work and especially indie genre work? And through them, I found a whole bunch of sites that I had never even heard of. And I was able to not just like learn about these sites, but ask these people why they liked those specific sites. So then I was able to reach out to those sites and say like, hey, I know that your readers want not just horror stuff, but horror stuff that has these elements or, uh, you know, has this kind of representation or whatever it is. And I was able to get like very, very specific press during my Kickstarter campaign. And that's how we got like we we got we built a big following, honestly for our social media, which is why to this day, I still have like a summit Twitter account that I don't want to shut down because I'm hoping I can roll it into my next feature, um, even though it sits there dead in the water. But we were able to build like a big genre following because I got a lot of press because I was really, really specific about that outreach. And I learned from my audience. So like I, I worked backwards instead of like looking for the the press and then trying to get to the people, I started with the people and then found the press. Yeah, and a good way of finding um, who you should reach out to at these various places, short of having like a group of people you can ask who you know care about this, is follow similar projects. Like just stock other people's work. Like the the amount of press that I got for my various projects that is directly a result of seeing the author post about someone else in my community is like it, it's it, it's no question like that's how most of my press gets happening is because I just follow other web series I follow other short films and filmmakers I see especially like the smaller publications that are publishing them the ones that like are really in depth like I prefer when people like interview me or do like a mm-hmm. feature or a review versus just like reposting my press release and I've, I've submitted to places that just repost my press release you never know something might come from that um, and you know my grandparents like to see that like oh she's got press it's so impressive but you know I want to prioritize things that I can take quotes from um, and you know Mm -hmm. turn that into further stuff so I pay attention to what other people in my community who make similar work to mine are doing and if I think that it's a good fit I'll I'll reach out and also if you do it that way you are far more likely to immediately know the right writer to reach out to versus like you know searching on IndieWire like web series and sort of hoping that the names that come up like are the true people who write about web series yeah and I would say you know press like it's their conversion rates are not that high unless it is like you're really filling a need that these readers have and they're not getting elsewhere you know like a real big desire for certain content but especially with horror like the conversion rates are not high when it comes to watching it because there's just so much genre content being written about however what I found is that press validates your content for 
outside people. So totally. like people who are kind of like, I'm not going to watch just like another student film because they have like an a- assumption of what independent film is and what like the quality is and how the entertainment value. But then they see you post this article that calls it like this brilliant whatever then they're like, oh, well, now I want to check it out because it's been validated by this source that I think is legitimate. And so now I want to watch your stuff and spread the word. And then they're fans. And so like that I have found is really the underlying benefit of press more than actually people like discovering it through the press. Yeah, I mean, I and I think that's true as well for film festivals in some ways, like the, the validation of an external force saying this is good is very helpful. And mm-hmm. you need to be more strategic than just getting it and sort of letting it sit there because the you know the festival is not going to do the work for you the press isn't going to do the work for you your boosted ad isn't going to do the work for you like you still have to do mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of work on your own but if you can find ways in that feel natural to you and feel like they are additive to mm-hmm. you know what your overall goals are rather than just another thing to talk about you're going to find right. a lot more success um yep. so <laughs> i guess let's close this out with like quick marketing tips, like lightning round of marketing tips that you have just sort of built over the years that that might help somebody kickstart an idea? I would say always lead with humanity first. Start with start with being a human and then promotes like second. <laughs> yeah, everything you post, be it a full length like article recap of a film festival or a 280 character tweet, like it should sound like you or like mm-hmm. a person at the very least, you know, like mm-hmm. there's a reason that when people followed brains, they'd be like, oh, hi, Brie. <laughs> like it, it sounds less quote unquote professional, but when people are looking to be marketed to, which they rarely are, they don't want it to sound like a corporation. Yeah. Um, I would say always ask why, like, why are you posting this? Why are you saying it this way? Why should anyone care? It's always about why. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, If you want other people to help you promote, uh, especially like people on your team who aren't necessarily making decisions with you, pre-write some social media copy for them so they can just copy and paste. And that goes the same for your audience. Like lots of people want to help you, but they don't have the mind for it. They haven't listened to an hour and a half long podcast about marketing. And frankly, they Mm -hmm. don't care to. So whatever you can do to make it easier on somebody to help you out, um, whether that's like, yeah, just spoon feeding them the posts that you want them to post or like making the the path that you want them to take super, super simple, that will always benefit you. It'll be a little more yeah. work on your part, but you'll get a lot more out of it. I would say it's, you know, like finding balance and filling in the gaps. For instance, for a while, Danny Thomas, friend of the pod, was running the Congested Cat social media. But uh, as of like late last year, I couldn't afford to give her money anymore. So I took it <laughs> over again. But, uh, but um she was great at like copy and and deciding like how to phrase something, which is what I loved. But she didn't want to do any decision making about like when and what. So it was like I would send her a calendar that was like, these are the things I want to go out. You figure out what to how to put it out there. But like sure. these are I'm giving you the what and the when. <laughs> and <laughs> it could smart. be the opposite, like what what you just said, that maybe, you know, they already have the what and the when and you're giving them the copy, but like finding, you know, a way to work together so that you're not doing it all by yourself or they're not doing it by themselves. 
Also, make a calendar and to the best of your ability, automate things. Like, there are so many social media schedulers oh, yeah. these days. Like, I would not be able to do my five jobs plus two podcasts if I didn't have automated things. Like, not only did I automate, like, the Undead Burrito account, like I mentioned earlier, but, like, I automate, like, we we schedule these podcast episodes and we record them months in advance at this point. So I have mm-hmm. a pretty good idea of when things are going to come out and the link doesn't change. So I have already posted a lot of just the general evergreen stuff months, months in advance so that if I forget, if I'm sick, if I'm traveling or moving or just having a day, something will go out and I don't feel pressure every morning I wake up and I'm like, oh God, how will I be an influencer on the internet today? Like as much as you can, automate it for yourself so that you have a little bit of breathing room to be genuinely creative and like be present instead of be being up in your head about it. Yeah, also on that note, like MailChimp, you can also... Mm work leisurely on a draft and then schedule it at any point uh so and if you like get into their paid features which i don't but if you have the money to you can like do staggered releases so that people who open it at different times of day are more likely to open it because they get it at that time of day and all of those things that maybe would increase your open rate, but I just don't have the money to experiment. Totally. Um, the other thing I would say is, especially if you're working up to like a milestone, so like the release of an episode, a film, uh, starting your festival run, starting a crowdfunding campaign, whatever, make yourself a schedule. And like that can look like a lot of different things. Like I've experimented and I've found that just like making a spreadsheet is just the easiest for me because I don't want to clutter my actual work calendar, but like make yourself a calendar and then to the best of your abilities, start to like split up when you want to say stuff. So if you want to have buckets of content that are like a little bit higher impact on you, so like, you know, making videos or something, don't post those every day. Don't say I'm going to post a video a day for a month. Like maybe do once a week for the video content. Um, For behind the scenes content, that's stuff that you can post pretty much every day, just like a new screenshot a day or like two screenshots a day or something. And then if you want to do a podcast, maybe do that once a week or once every other week, like layer it so that like you have a plan, you know what you're getting into, but then you can tackle it piece by piece so that you're not using all of your energy just to keep up. But like you can actually look at what you've got and make strategic decisions about how you're going to use all of this content to ramp up to the ultimate goal, which is to get people to act on this milestone. Because that's the that's my other piece of advice that's attached to this, which is that there should always be a call to action if you're marketing something. Nobody should ever see a post of yours about your work and not know what to do with it. You should either be funneling them to subscribe to a newsletter, to get people who haven't followed you yet to follow you, to get people to contribute to a campaign, to get people to watch the thing, like whatever the action is you want people to take as a result of seeing a piece of marketing out into the world, like that should be very clear and you should make it as easy as possible. They should not have to hunt it. I once had a very long argument with people about like, whether or not in promoting their web series, they should put a link to the web series in every post about it. And I was like, we have to put a link. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. how are people going to find it? Um, I eventually won that argument for good reason. (laughs) Because if you want, if somebody sees something, they're like, ooh, cool, I want to watch that. If you make it hard on them, people are lazy. There's plenty of things that they can do that are much easier for them. So always make the call to action clear and make it one click at most. I agree with that. I will say that there are sometimes, so for instance, I follow Monkey Pot, which is Jordan Peele's production company, and I love their Instagram. When they were building up to the release of Candyman, which unfortunately got pushed back again, 
uh, because of COVID, they were they started releasing just stills from the film, like creepy stills with nothing, just a still. And and it was like, but it was like a Candyman, like creepy stare or something. And I loved that because like there isn't an action I can take right now. It's not out, but it got me like every time I saw a new one, I got excited about the movie. And so then I replicated that with the gaze on the Congested Cat account where like we just started posting for the for the week building up to our release. We would just post a still with like the, the side eye emoji. And uh, and then we finally when we had a call to action, we posted it with the link and everything. But that I feel like there are sometimes exceptions when you're just trying to like elicit emotional reaction. Sure. And you're not like trying to drive an action just yet, as long as people understand the context. And I would say we definitely don't have as much of a following as as Candyman. But generally speaking, people knew that they're like that we had a film on the circuit all year and that there these were stills from at least something that was coming that we were going to put out. Yeah, no, I think I think that makes that's a that's a good point. I think that there's sort of two types of marketing, like there's the marketing for the people who already know what's happening and just getting them really excited. And there's the marketing meant to like draw people in and act you know, and, and like yeah. knowing the goal of each post is very important. Because, yeah, totally. Definitely post stuff that, you know, is, is going to be is going to elicit something. Um, I mean, that's all for me. I mean, it's not all for me. I have lot. We both have lots of thoughts on marketing. Yeah, so um, if a question that you had that you kind of hoped that we would naturally intuit during this episode did not come to fruition, be sure to ask us questions in the future. And we will definitely do follow ups, perhaps on more specific niches of marketing so if you have further questions by all means reach out we would love to hear from you thanks so much to kelsey rauber for our theme music kaylee brown for our podcast art and to ezra lee for editing this episode and of course to all of you for listening links to learn more about them as always are in our episode description and remember to subscribe to our Substack, breakingoutpod.substack.com, so you get notified of all of our new episodes dropping every other Thursday, and rate us five stars on your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. Also, actually writing a review goes a long way, and we appreciate it every time. So thanks in advance, or um, thanks for already doing that. Next episode, we're going to be covering personal branding, so be sure to tune in, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah.